Imagine an emergency room dedicated to the specific needs of patients with substance use disorders. No need to dream about this. Such a facility is a reality here in Palm Beach County, Florida. I'm Dr. Brent Schillinger, along with my colleague, Dr. Abby Strauss. We're talking today with Dr. Stephen Keene, who's the Medical Director of Emergency Services at the JFK Medical Center North in West Palm Beach, which is the site for this Addiction Stabilization Unit, or ASU, as they call it. Steve, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me tonight. Your ASU opened back in February of 2020, a couple of weeks before COVID hit the maps. It opened as a specialized ER through an innovative public-private partnership. In the first two years, you've seen over a thousand patients have passed through the unit. If you have to identify the specific target population, the ideal patient, who would that patient be? Patients that are using Percocet, other pills, morphine, heroin, fentanyl, and now this ISO that's out there. Would this be for patients who are experiencing acute overdose or for patients who just are seeking treatment? Combination. Generally, a lot of patients are seeking treatment and they come in and we stabilize them. After a certain period of time, if they choose, we get them on Suboxone. And when they come into you and stabilize them, this is done as an inpatient type program? They don't get admitted unless the labs show something medical, such as extreme rhabdomyolysis. Maybe they have cellulitis. Maybe there's something else going on. If labs are normal and they're doing great, we keep them. Some patients are kept for a couple of hours. Some people are kept for several days. Someone comes to you and they want to get better and you give them some good introductory work. How many people disappear? How many people stay with you? Is there a sense of that? In the ER setting or you mean through the whole process when they go to the healthcare district or to a rehab facility? Ultimately, obviously, the whole process. When they first walk into the door, how many people say thanks and never return? I would say it's 50%. We do have a large majority that want help. A lot of patients takes them several visits before they actually decide they want help and they're ready for help. When the patient says, they get to a point where they say, you know what, I need help, and they're willing to have the help, we have the resources. We have our case manager, we have a social worker, we have our addiction stabilization nurse, my physician at the MAT certifications, extra training to help with addiction. The statistics show that about 74% of the patients you treat are actually walk-ins. The question is, was this the original intent or were you looking to or expecting more of a response from emergency medical services? Just like stroke, same with addiction. If they come to us and we've had someone brought to us from Boca with addiction issues, overdose, obviously that's far for them. Without EMS, we wouldn't be successful. A lot of patients that come in find out about our services because of other customers. Who pays for this? I would imagine a fair number of your patients don't have insurance. The healthcare district funds this process with the government. If there's a patient who wants these services, they shouldn't be intimidated that they don't know how they can pay for it. That's probably the best customer. The patients that don't have any insurance, that need help, we can get them into the healthcare district to get all the resources they need. Care for the addiction, care for, for medical illnesses, even housing sometimes. What's your affiliation with psychiatry in the hospital? Are you two separate entities or do you blend? So JFK North has the psychiatry. We have our pavilion. We have our psych intake area. And we work hand in hand with the psychiatrists. The addiction and psychiatric illness, as you know, kind of go hand in hand. Patients that are depressed, et cetera, the psychiatry, after the evaluation, those patients come over to the ASU if they want help. 
from what you described, this is basically a service useful for people who may suffer from various aspects associated with substance use disorder. Is there anyone who might think they need to come to the ASU, but is not particularly indicated and they show up anyway, you know, like colds showing up in the ER? Is there a certain category of patient that maybe doesn't need the ASU, but thinks they do? It's a great question. I never really thought about that. And they have an issue. We help them. This started out with opiates. Then it bridged to alcohol. We take care of people with methamphetamine abuse, cocaine abuse, crack cocaine, marijuana, cava. We take care of everybody. What are the demographics of the people who come to you? How varied is it? Males, females, young, old. We see everybody. I think it's pretty close to 50-50 males and females. I think the average age is approximately around 40. It's very interesting because when I was in training, we had separate units based on the different demographics of people. We knew that the person who had no money and was living on the street would probably not be a good roommate to somebody who was a practicing lawyer, say. And we had to recognize those differences in order to keep them in the program. We never liked it because we all we always thought that it discriminated, it maintained false differences perhaps in people. So if you're just bringing everybody in for what they are, I think that's really good. But are there pressures on you to separate according to their backgrounds? No, the only separation we knew would be sex. I don't consider the ASU a location, I consider a process. Data from the healthcare district shows that in the first couple of years, it's been about 72% men, 77% non-Hispanic, white. Are we failing to reach certain populations, do you think? Or are there other demographic factors perhaps at play? I'm not sure. Are we missing people? I would assume we probably are. But everyone that comes in, no matter who they are, I say to every single patient, you will be treated with dignity and respect. Many ERs, unfortunately, patients are afraid to go for help because of the way they've been treated. What special steps are taken at the ASU to remove a lot of this stigma? I talk to the patients, let them know they'll be treated with dignity and respect. And I think right there, they usually have a deep sigh and feel much more relaxed and comfortable. Second, it's a team process. Someone comes in, they overdose. They might not realize they need help, but after listening, then they realize it, and then we get them help, and it's fantastic. A woman, and the third time she came back, she finally asked for help. She went from, they made a video, and I, I cried on it. She went from having no job, no house, losing her kids, to all that reversed. She got a job, she got housing, and she got her kids back. I saw that video. That was amazing. It was one powerful story, and it shows what people can do when they put their mind to it and they have caring resources to help them do it. One of the things that struck me as I looked and listened and learned about your program is the importance of the fact that the door is open. If you walk in that door, you're going to be treated not as a criminal, not as a bad person, not as a drug addict in all its, its, its nefarious nuances, but as a person who needs help. That's that's what opens the door. That's what makes it work. I think that's great. But follow up what Brent said, as much as you know, because you're in the ER, which is a critical, I mean, you're at the front line. After they go to the units, do they go into rehab centers? Do they accomplish what they want? How much psychosocial emphasis is given to treatment and how much resources are there for the very sometimes long process of getting their lives back together? Some patients go directly from the ASU to a rehab center or somewhere for housing, somewhere for detox. As physicians, as professionals, is there ever a point where coercion is indicated? How forceful should we as physicians be in this setting? 
when I have someone who is on the fence, do they want help? Do they not? They want to just go home. Are they maybe dishonest about overdosing, even though they woke up with Narcan? Obviously, use an opiate. It's a team approach. I have the chargers speak to them as well. Sometimes even the supervising nurse. And a lot of times when we do that, it changes their mind. When I have someone who doesn't really buy in, I try to have the whole team speak to them. And sometimes it helps. And unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't. Patients coming in, what is the overdose protocol? So an opiate overdose comes in by EMS or someone drives them in. We obviously do ABCs. Now it's CAV, always do circulation first now. We check out the vital signs and check their mental status and make sure they're oxygenating okay. Make sure they're stable regarding that. If they're not, they might need to be bagged. They might need Narcan, IV fluids, et cetera. If somebody is pretty bad, they might need innovated. They get Narcan, they get labs, like any acute emergency. But if they're stable, they're awake and they're conscious, like oriented, their GCS is 15, and we do some drug screen. But not just a urine drug screen. We also add two things on. We do a fentanyl test and we do a buprenorphine test. When I initiate the Suboxone, I want to know if they already have Suboxone in their system because then I can start it earlier. I don't want to put them in precipitate withdrawal. I know a lot of emergency rooms try to do this. They're overworked. They're understaffed. You've got a lot of very legitimate, and it's the obvious, you know, cardiac issues, respiratory issues, normal accidents, those types of things. Do you have adequate staff to deal with all these extra opioids, substance abuse issues, psychiatric issues? They're time consuming. I think we are adequately staffed and we're doing a great job. We have a nurse dedicated to the ASU every shift. They also have a social worker helping them during normal business hours, colleagues from the healthcare district who come in. We have generally like four people working in the ASU per shift. Precipitated withdrawal. This is something that people are very concerned about, not wanting to step into that arena. What steps need to be taken to avoid the precipitated withdrawal? Precipitated withdrawal is basically we started the medication too early. The suboxone and the fentanyl are competing for the same receptor site. And because of that, they go into withdrawal. And this withdrawal is, it's miserable. They're uncomfortable. They're having nausea, vomiting, maybe having shivering. They just feel terrible. And that's because we started too early. We generally start slow. Back in the day, you could start suboxone 12 to 24 hours after heroin use. With fentanyl, or now this new ISO, which is terrible. They're all terrible. You really want to wait more than 24 hours, really closer to like 36 hours. In general, we're waiting 36 hours from their last use. I started two milligrams. If they do okay with that, then you I go up to two more. Now I'm at four. They tolerate that, I go up another four. Generally, the dose of Suboxone is approximately eight milligrams twice a day. What I have learned is when I put some in precipitate withdrawal, I can do many things. I think I know the answer now after dealing with the situation. One option is don't give any more Suboxone, let time go by and give them nausea medicine. Maybe give them gabapentin or Motrin, give them Visceral, give them medicines and make them comfortable. What I have found, go up on the Suboxone to the max dose, competitively inhibit all the other receptors and bind them all with the Suboxone and the patient will feel much better right away. So I go up to the 24 milligrams. In line with the protocol, you don't send patients home. If someone comes in you would keep them and observe them and wait until they're ready? Generally, yes. We are trying a new process. We're trying home inductions. They want to be on Suboxone, but they're not ready yet. Then through the healthcare district, they would do a home induction where you give them the medicines and let them start at home. Generally, we initiate them in the ASU.
certain patients. This is a window of opportunity when they show up in person. If they are told, well, you need to go home and come back in two days, they might be lost in the process. That's true. And we don't do that. We keep them stable. And when we're ready to initiate the medication, we do that. And I try to get someone on eight milligrams and they're stable. Then I get them over to our partners at the healthcare district. But I don't just give somebody two milligrams and send them over. I try to get them up to the eight milligrams and make sure they're stable. The new drug called ISO? I'm not that knowledgeable about this, but basically that's much stronger than fentanyl. And are you seeing much of it? I don't know the answer. Well, I've seen a lot of overdoses. They test positive for fentanyl. Is it the fentanyl? Is it ISO? I don't know the answer. Years ago, there was something called Dawn. Yes. Emergency rooms would say, guess what we saw? And then people down the street were also notified. We continue to see these types of new substances appearing that must keep you guys, shall we say, very much on your toes. People don't always come in and know what they've ingested. I agree. I'll, I'll tell you something that's scary. I'm seeing fentanyl in everything. I'm seeing fentanyl in cocaine. It's not cocaine, it's fentanyl or it's a combination. I'm seeing fentanyl in marijuana. Oh, I'm just going to smoke a puff of marijuana and they overdose because there's fentanyl in it. There's fentanyl in everything nowadays. I have someone who did cocaine and they got resuscitated and they got Narcan. They're like, I don't do opiates. I did cocaine. So you need to have extremely broad protocols that are infinitely variable. Yes. And everyone in the community needs to know that the ASU exists. We're happy to take anybody, any hour a day, 365 days a year. We're happy to help anybody that wants help. It's our pleasure. What do you see as the future? My hypothesis is other ERs in the area will also have the ASU make a big difference. Jacob wanted us to write this up, the best practice for the country to try to really make a difference. That's excellent. I don't know if enough people know about this. And of course, we'll do our best to make sure that people outside of Florida also know that this program exists. I, I think it's quite good. Quite good. I appreciate it. I will say I was the EMT observer in high school. And the first call I went on was a heroin overdose. It still sticks in my head. The child called with her mother laying there on the ground. We resuscitated her, brought her back to life. She was not happy with us for running her high passed away from another overdose. But that was back in 96. Now we're still dealing with this. This program wasn't around back then. Making this kind of program, spreading this knowledge, we can really hopefully make a big difference in the lives of our community. The substance abuse challenge has been with us for centuries. And we need very much to spend a lot more time and understanding as to what brings it on in the first place. We are not at that point. We have some good ideas. We have things that seem to point us in the right direction. But part of the crisis is that we don't have adequate ability to stabilize people, that they no longer have to worry about their withdrawals so we can get them into appropriate treatment modalities then we have a chance to reach to them. You know, sometimes people do need Suboxone just so they can get their heads together tight enough so they can go to a a rehab center. I want to go on with that. My mentor, Dr. Ken Shepke, he was the state medical director of EMS Florida. He said to me, you don't tell someone who is a diabetic to stop your insulin or your metformin, and that will cure diabetes. But why do many rehab centers tell patients to stop the Suboxone and that will help their issue? That needs to change. A lot of centers need to allow patients to be on these medications and stabilize them. The recurrent theme is that sadly there is too much quickness to judge. We have to get ourselves away from judging people so that we can deal with the other aspects. One of the things that has always concerned me, and I've been doing psychiatry for a long time, give away my age as well, 
is that I don't want your good work to be seen as the end point. When antidepressants came out, anti-anxiety medicines came out and so on, people, and, and the companies advertise them, take, take this antidepressant, you'll be fine. Well, no, it's not that simple. It will help you. But if you concurrently have a bad marriage, you have to deal with that. You get people started on the right track. I, I can only applaud you for that. And I just hope that there are continuing resources to keep them on that track after they leave, shall we say, your umbrella. Thank you so much. The tree with respect. We give them clean beds to sleep in. We have a shower. Many patients haven't taken a shower in a long time. Feed them. And when I see the patients the next day after being on Suboxone, it's very rewarding seeing them smile and say thank you. And that's why we do it. We talk about addiction, it's not a moral failing, it's a disease. But then I think sometimes we try to oversimplify it by saying it's a disease, just take the pill and you're going to be cured because there's so many other facets. Between that and then the whole concept of harm reduction, we've never been a drug-free country. We will never be a drug-free country, but having you head here makes such a difference, making the situation less dangerous for our fellow human beings. Stephen Keene is Medical Director of Emergency Services and the Addiction Stabilization Unit at JFK North Hospital in West Palm Beach. Thanks so much for joining us for this very important conversation. Thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed it.